continue this morning with a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Today we're going to begin a new sermon series, a new worship series. In this moment of conflict in the world all around us, for the next few weeks we're going to focus on, we're going to learn how to live in peace with one another. And we're going to begin today by hearing these words of Jesus, these words from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And today I'm going to start the reading with verse 21. Listen to these words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, many years ago, I had an opportunity to to go and visit the Holy Land for the first time. And as I was getting ready for that first trip over to the Holy Land, one of the things I was most excited to see was the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Now, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher is an ancient church in the city of Jerusalem. And inside that church, you can visit two of the most important spots in all of the gospel story. You walk inside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and you climb a set of stairs and then you find yourself standing in front of this great big sort of stony outcropping. That rock in the time of Jesus was called the Rock of Golgotha. It's the very place where the cross of Jesus stood, the place where Jesus died so all the world might know how deep is God's love for us. And then you come down the stairs and you walk all the way to the other end of the church and you wait in line and you wait in line and you wait in line. And then finally you get just a few seconds to duck your head and stand inside the empty tomb itself. The very tomb where the disciples did not find the body of Jesus on Easter Sunday morning. I was so excited to visit the church of the Holy Sepulchre. I was ready. I mean, I was excited to stand at the foot of the cross to actually step inside the empty tomb just like the disciples did on Easter Sunday morning. I was so excited to visit the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. What I didn't anticipate, what I hadn't expected, is that to me the most moving and memorable part of my visit to that church would not be standing at the foot of the cross, would not be entering the empty tomb, but instead it would be the sight of a simple wooden ladder leaning against a wall. When we went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, before we went inside, our tour guide stopped us outside the door and he said, now before we go in, I want everybody to look up above the door. He said, there's something I want you to see before we go inside. And so we all stopped and we looked up and we saw that above the entrance to the church, there was a sort of a ledge. And over the ledge, there were two big windows. And underneath the window, on the right-hand side, leading down to the ledge, there was a wooden ladder that was leaned against the wall. And while we were all looking up, our tour guide said to us, what you are looking at right now might just be the world's most famous ladder. He said, right now, you are looking at the world-famous immovable ladder. And then he told us the story of the world-famous immovable ladder. 
He says, nobody knows who put that ladder there. There are lots of legends and stories about how that ladder ended up on that ledge under that window, he said. But the most likely story is probably boring. The most likely story is that it was just left there by a worker who didn't clean up after himself. But he said, that's not really important. It's not important to know who put the ladder there. The important thing is to know that that ladder was there on that ledge in the year 1757. Now, here's what you need to understand about the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. He said, this place is too holy, this place is too sacred and important to be controlled or owned by just one branch of the Christian faith, one denomination of the church. And so over the years, he said, this place, this church has come to be shared not just by two or three, but by six different denominations, six different branches of the Christian faith share this place. The problem, he said, is that they all hate each other and they love to fight and they love to argue and so instead of sharing this space what they've done is they've all staked out claims they've all staked out corners and closets and chapels that they have claimed for their own brand of the Christian faith and then they have zealously guarded the perimeter of those spaces to keep anybody else from coming into their space and over the years he said there has been this ongoing battle where churches these denominations try to push and get just a few more inches of space for their particular denomination there in the church. He said this competition for space has led to lots of arguments and even fights over the years. And he said in the year 1757, the sultan who ruled in Jerusalem had had enough. Now, in the year 1757, Jerusalem was part of the Ottoman Empire. It was ruled, it was overseen by a a Muslim sultan. And the sultan was so tired of priests and monks coming and knocking on his door and complaining about something that other priests and other monks had done. And it all came to a head in Holy Week of 1757 when one group of Christians had a procession that went through a part of the church that was controlled by another group of Christians. A battle broke out out. People were hitting each other with crosses and candlesticks. And when the dust finally settled, the sultan said, enough is enough. He said, I'm going to put a stop to this once and for all. And so he issued a proclamation. He issued an edict that came to be known as the status quo. And the rules of the status quo were very simple. The sultan said, everything has to stay exactly like it is right now in the year of our Lord, 1757. If you control a chapel in 1757, then you will control that chapel until Jesus returns. If you were sitting in a chair in 1757, then you have the right to keep on sitting in that chair until the end of time. And nothing can change, nothing can move in the church of the Holy Sepulchre unless all six groups unanimously agree, and that would take a miracle. That would take an act of God. The status quo agreement, the status quo declaration from 1757 is still in place at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That means that everything in that church is exactly as it was in the year 1757, including 
including that ladder that is sitting there above the doorway. Nobody can move that ladder. Nobody is willing to move that ladder because to move that ladder even a few inches could lead to a fight or even a war between nations. It has happened before. And so in order to ensure that that ladder is never moved, now there is a metal grating over the window to keep anybody from going out onto that ledge and and moving that ladder. That ladder is still exactly where it was in the year 1757 and where it will be presumably for at least another 300 years. And when we finished our, our visit at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, as I was walking away from the church, I looked back over my shoulder. I looked at that ladder and I thought to myself, I wonder how many people walk past this church every day? How many thousands of people from all walks of life, from every culture and nation on the face of the earth, pass by this place every day and look up and see that ladder and think to themselves, why would I believe anything these people have to tell me about God when they haven't even learned how to love each other? That ladder has been standing there for 300 years as a testament to the fact that we as the followers of Jesus have failed to obey even the most basic, um, even the most foundational of his teachings and his commandments. As I was walking away and looked back over my shoulder that day, saw that ladder standing there leaning against the wall, it broke my heart. And I'm convinced that it has broken the heart of Jesus as well. I'm convinced that Jesus feels the same way that many people do when they look at that ladder. Because that ladder, that ladder is a sign that in many ways the church of Jesus Christ has become exactly the kind of religion that Jesus came to save us from. Jesus, of course, was a Jew. In the time of Jesus, the the Jewish people were deeply and bitterly divided in much the same way that the church is today. In the time of Jesus, the two main denominations of the Jewish faith were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they hated each other and they loved to argue and they loved to fight. And so they argued and they fought about all sorts of things. They argued about politics and they fought about theology. But the one thing that they loved to argue about more than anything else was the best way to make God happy. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees both had their own ideas about what is most pleasing to God. The Pharisees believed that the best way to please God is to live according to the laws that God gave to the world through the prophet Moses. They said the best way to please and honor God is through our perfect lives. And so they memorized the laws and they went around reciting the laws to people and chastising people for not following the laws well enough. A Pharisee is the kind of person who would see you at McDonald's about to bite into a cheeseburger. And the Pharisee would say, you know... According to the law that God gave to Moses, we're not supposed to eat meat and dairy together in the same meal. As a matter of fact, the law says that anybody who puts cheese on a burger is liable to be dragged in front of a judge. And anybody who takes a bite of that cheeseburger is liable to be dragged in front of a whole panel of judges. And anybody who enjoys eating a cheeseburger is liable to be dragged straight into the flames of Hades. These were the Pharisees. They believed that the best way to please and honor God was through our perfect lives, by following the law. The Sadducees said that is ridiculous. 
Nobody can live a perfect life. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to mess up. And the good news is that God has given us a way to find forgiveness for our sins. All we have to do is go to the temple and confess our sins and make a sacrifice, make an offering to God, sing God's praises in worship, and then God will forgive us all of our transgressions. The best way to please God, the Sadducees said, is not with our perfect lives, but with our perfect worship. This was the main argument between between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It went on for decades. It went on for generations. And suddenly, along comes Jesus. Along comes this wandering rabbi, this carpenter who travels from place to place and teaches people about the love of God and the ways of the kingdom of God. And as Jesus begins to attract more and more people, as bigger and bigger crowds come because of his teachings and because of his miracles, the Sadducees and the Pharisees begin to notice Jesus. And when the Sadducees and the Pharisees notice the ministry of Jesus, what do you think is the first question that they ask? The first question that they ask is not, is this man a prophet and should we listen to what he has to say? No, the first question that they ask themselves is, whose side do you think he's on? Is he one of us or is he one of them? We got to figure this out so we know whether we can support him or whether we should oppose him. And so Pharisees and Sadducees started showing up to listen to the preaching, listen to the teaching of Jesus. And as they did, they listened very carefully for any clue they could get as to which side of the debate Jesus was on. That's what's happening in this morning's gospel reading. In today's gospel reading, we pick up the story of the ministry of Jesus just as Jesus is in the middle of preaching the most important, the most famous sermon that he ever preached, the sermon. Sermon on the Mount. Here's the scene. Jesus is seated on the side of a mountain. A giant crowd of hundreds, thousands of people are all arrayed at the bottom of that mountain and they are leaning forward. They are straining to hear every word that Jesus says. And as Jesus looks out over that crowd, he sees Pharisees and he sees Sadducees and he sees how they are squinting and furrowing their brows and he sees how they've cupped their hands so they can hear him better. And Jesus knows exactly what they are thinking. He knows what they're listening for. He knows the game that they are playing. And I like to think that Jesus takes a moment to smile to himself as he gets ready to sweep all of the pieces onto the floor and knock the game board right over. Jesus looks out at all of those Pharisees and Sadducees in the crowd and then he says this. He says, you have heard that it was said in the law that God gave to Moses that you shall not murder. And all the Pharisees smile. He's talking about the laws of Moses. Maybe he is one of us. This is going really well. And they lean forward to hear Jesus even better. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, if anyone is angry with a brother or sister, that person has committed murder in their heart. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you are liable to be dragged in front of a judge. And if you insult a brother or sister, you are liable to be dragged in front of a whole panel of judges. And if you call a brother or sister a fool, you are liable to be dragged straight into the flames of Hades. And by this point, the faces of the Pharisees would have been purple with anger because they understood what Jesus is doing. They understand that Jesus is making fun of them. 
Jesus is making fun of their habit of going around and quoting and spouting the law to people. And not only that, but Jesus is exposing them for the hypocrites that they are because Jesus is pointing out to everybody gathered in that crowd that even though the Pharisees have memorized all of the laws of Moses, those laws have not touched their hearts. And you will never meet a more angry and judgmental group of people than the Pharisees. And all the Sadducees start smiling. And they're giving each other high fives. And they're saying, this kid is all right. He is one of us. We can support the ministry of Jesus. But Jesus keeps on going. And Jesus says, and if you are in worship, if you're at the temple confessing your sins and about to make a sacrifice, an offering to God, and suddenly you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, here's what you do. You leave that place. You walk out of worship. You say to the priest, would you hold my sheep for just a minute? And then you go and you find your brother. You go and you find your sister and you ask your brother's forgiveness. And you confess your sins to your sister and you make peace. You reconcile with your brother or your sister before you make peace and reconcile with God. And now it's the Sadducees who are purple in the face and they're turning to each other and they're saying, is he saying it is more important for us to make peace with one another than it is for us to make peace with God? And of course, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. This is the reason why all throughout the Gospels we find the Pharisees and the Sadducees opposing Jesus over and over again. This is the reason why they never warmed up to him, because not only does Jesus refuse to choose a side, but over and over again, Jesus points out that both sides have completely missed the point. God is not pleased by our endless arguments about rules and laws and traditions. And God is not pleased by our endless arguments about whether it's better to worship with an organ or whether it's better to worship with guitars. The thing that would be most pleasing to God, the thing that would make God the happiest, is for us to live in peace with one another, for us to learn how to love one another. And so that's what we're going to do. For these next few weeks in worship, in the month of May, we are going to sit at the feet of Jesus, and we're going to learn from him as he teaches us how to love one another here in the church. For the next few weeks, we're going to let Jesus mess with our immovable ladders so that when people pass by this place, they'll look at us and they'll say, maybe God is real, and maybe there is a better way. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would teach us how to forgive, how to love, how to live in peace with one another. That we might become a beacon for this community and a sign of hope for all the nations. These things we pray in Jesus. Amen.